You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we don't recommend staring directly at the sun to see if there are any spots on it. Episode of Just One of the Guns, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Ingle, and I love to talk about the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones coming out between cover date June 1990 and cover date November 2004, and the ones that put a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Reed. And this time out, we're going to be taking a little shorter episode as we're only covering one book. But this book's a pretty big one. It's episode, it's issue number 144 of Green Lantern that's leading in very heavily to the Power of Ion storyline. Yes, Kyle has had his little problems with his constructs becoming more and more realistic, and now something weird has happened. Kyle's gotten all glowy and stuff. And as a person I know who loves these issues and loves this writer, I brought along a good friend of mine to talk about this issue as well. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show, Mr. Thomas DJ. Hey, Tom. You know, there's like a little green dot on my uh, big uh, overhead light here. <laughs> I wonder what would happen if I just like put my hand in it. I'm certain you'd get all glowy and run around in BBDs all day. <laughs> I don't have any BBDs. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta think this one people is for the ladies. I'm gonna say I think this is why um, there are people like Sally Pascal and a lot of women out there who are thinking, you know, Cal Rayner is not such a bad character. I I think I could follow him for some reason. Yeah, um, there's there's plenty of gratuitous Cal and his undies in this. So if you're if you're into that, then this issue is the one for you. If you're not, well. Maybe not so much. But like I said, we're going to be covering issue 144 of Green Lantern. And after we take this break to play a couple of promos, we'll get right into the coverage of it. What do you say, Tom? I say let's go for it. All let's right. dive into the sun. <laughs> There's a little black spot on the sun today. 
It's the same old film as yesterday. I stood here before inside the pouring rain. The ones in the circles running round my brain. I guess I'm always hoping that you'll ever visit me. But it's my destiny to be the king of pain. King of Hey there, this is Huckleberry Ham. And when I'm not busy making movies and TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. And the funny books. My word, the funny books. Old funny books. New funny books. Scary funny books. Movies about funny books. Funny books about movies. British fellers talking about funny books. And lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out and head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. Sounds great, Mr. Hound. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, no problem, fellers. Now, if y'all excuse me, I have to run. I'm shooting a movie. It's a western, and if y'all see Quick Draw McGraw, don't tell him. He's still hot at me about the good, the bad, and Huckleberry Hound. And once he gets all El Cabong, he's a pain in the you-know-where. And then there was this one time that he and Baba Louie had a little too much sarsaparilla, and Quickdraw said something to Magilla Gorilla that I won't repeat, you understand? We were shooting Yogi's gang, and things got mighty tense. Boo-Boo, and, and Boo-Boo's a great feller, real sharp, love working with him. Boo-Boo kept it all from Yogi, you understand? But boy, I tell you, TwoTrueFreaks.com. Tell them Huckleberry the sent you. Throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant, so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon. Please don't kill me! You tell them all, Nocturne is the Talon's hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey. Nightbreaker. What was this? Some sort of joke? No! Gloria... This sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what, but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible. Fairy man. The ghosts you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. 
<laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher. Witches, warlocks, mages, magicians, shamans. Call us what you like. It's all the same. We've helped when we can. Eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil. And it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins. A quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace. This can be painless, you know. You ain't putting the front on me, Slag. Just take your shot, yeah? I was hoping you'd say that. Who is going to use the roughest elements of the city? You that rose red bitch? That's right. I'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part. Because I am. And I know you guys are some of the nastiest, toughest, roughest, meanest bastards in this town. Am I right? Yeah! yeah. Good. Because I have need of you. To send this city. Come on! Down New Roads to Hell. New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion adventure by Thomas DJ. A new novel coming soon from Airship 27. For more information, including character sketches and behind the scenes information, visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcome to nocturne.blogspot.com and airship27.com. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am back! You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for our podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why, yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly, every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that, too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. Franklin, for the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast, at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. And we are back. So... Since we're going to forego looking at emails this time, thanks everyone for writing in. I really appreciate it. You can write into the show at justwhentheguyspodcast at gmail.com if you have comments, suggestions, or whatever, criticisms, you know, anything. I'm open to whatever. But we're going to go ahead and look at our issue today, which is Greenlander number 144. This one was cover dated January of 2002. Wow. Getting up into... I can't believe that I'm not this close to the end of the run. This is disturbing. Anyway, the release date was November 14th, 2001, and had a cover price of 225 US and 375 Canada, and the title was The Battle of Fire and Light. The writer again was Judd Winnick. The penciler was Dale Eaglesham. Inker was Rodney Ramos. Colorist was Moose Bowman. The letterer was Chris Eliopoulos. The assistant editor was Nache Castro. And the editor was Bob Shrek. Our story opens with a small child notifying his mother of a strange green dot that has appeared on the sun. Walking outside, the beleaguered mother finds that this isn't another fib her child is telling, but a possible beginning to the end of the world. Meanwhile, high above the Earth, Green Lantern Jenny Lynn Hayden is trying to make contact with a brimming with power Kyle Rayner. After containing the explosion of the nuclear bomb from last issue, Kyle has turned all green and glowy, at least in his outer appearance. To himself, and to the lucky lady readers, he's just a hunky guy floating around in his tidy whiteies. 
Thinking that this is way above her pay grade, Jen wonders if she needs to call the JLA or at least former Greenlander John Stewart. Hearing her thoughts, Kyle teleports them both to John's apartment, prompting the wheelchair-bound former GL to call in some expert advice. Moments later, Alan Scott is at the apartment, making an attempt to breach Kyle's energy field, but instead he gets zapped for his troubles. Back in Kyle's reality, he sees an approaching figure step out of the light. Unfortunately, the figure is his banished foe from the Circle of Fire storyline, Oblivion, who is also flanked by former Green Lantern turned rogue, Parallax. Wondering what's going on, Kyle recalls the attack by Graven and the explosion of the bomb, and suddenly it becomes clear to him. This is good because Alan and Jenny have been trying to reestablish contact with Kyle, and his release of power was nearly killing them. Kyle says that he has everything under control now, as he begins to explain why he's become all phosphorescent and stuff. You see, when Kyle defeated Oblivion, the construct of his psyche sought out a new source of emerald energy, namely the residual power of Parallax left from the sun from when Hal reignited it. Since then, Kyle has been drawing off the power of Parallax and Oblivion combined rather than the lantern, resulting in more powerful and realistic constructs. And now that he understands how to tame the power, he plans on claiming it for his own. Unfortunately, Alex Nero senses the power as well, and he plans to take it for himself and turn the world into his own nightmarish reality. But before he can reach the sun and the source of the power, Cal intercepts the deranged ring wielder and prepares to battle to find out who will obtain the power of the light. And there we go with issue 144. Thomas, tell me what's going on with this one. Well, it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. First off, um, even though Dale Eaglesham is probably not to my taste. I mean, he's got some pretty wonky anatomy throughout the issue. Yeah, so far, I I like Dale Eaglesham more now that he, I don't know whether this is just his early stuff, but I've been uh, checking him out in issues of Sinestro, mm-hmm. and uh, he he does a really good job in that. Maybe it's just the paper or his inker. But it looks really good there. Here it's okay. It's a bit of a change up from Daryl Banks. Uh, right. I, th- I think near the end, Daryl Banks was was looking good. Like I said, I cannot believe that some of the bad art that I perceived Daryl Banks to do was when he was working with, um, oh, not Tom Palmer, but when he was working with um, Terry Austin. Terry Austin, yes. Yeah, some some of that stuff was just kind of awkward. But near the end of Banks's run, he was doing some really good stuff. And Eagle Sham taking over, the artwork's a little different, and it is... It's taking some getting used to. It's nice to know that Darren is a uh, Miami Dolphins fan. Oh, is he? Is is that what he's wearing in the little jersey? Yeah, that's the that's the the, color, the jersey colors. Nice. Well, and I don't know whether you could assume he's in Miami. There's no really, there's really no specific location where this is happening because you see the dot on the sun today. It's mm-hmm. the same old thing as yesterday, and uh, it could be pretty much anywhere. Right. Um, it, it's interesting though that that Wittig chooses to use this sort of 
vignette, this unconnected vignette, has uh, an opener. It, for some reason, reminds me a lot of what Marv Wolfman used to do a lot with Tomb of Dracula, where he would have a little vignette with the victim of the month mm-hmm. before he or she succumbed to Dracula. Not that, anyone, not that Dracula's coming to bite this uh, young woman <laughs> and her son, but uh, that's, that's, that would be kind of cool. But that would, that'd be that'd be an interesting change of pace. Yeah, I have noticed that a lot in uh, Jed Winnick's run of the issues, and I'm wondering if that falls more into the idea that he's maybe more accustomed to writing a sort of like television type stories because this does have that sort of feel of a pre-credit sequence or like an opening teaser for the show that may or may not have something to do with the rest of the show, but it's just there to set things up to keep in mind. We are dealing with a, a comic industry this time that has been sort of used to being influenced by by film language ever since, you know, the British invasion of the late 80s. So this could be just him utilizing that language and, as you said, creating a pre-credit sequence, a tease. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get, of course, to... And i got to say, this is probably the most characterization that both Jenny Lynn and uh, Alan Scott has ha- have had. Yeah. In, in this period, this is, I mean... Uh, Winnick has a very good handle on both characters um, before, of course, uh, passing Alan Scott off to um, Jeff Johns and David S. Goyer in uh, JSA several years. I think several years from now, right? Yeah, I don't I, I think it's probably after because I'm thinking Identity Crisis came out in mm-hmm. 2004, maybe. Yeah, because I, I wasn't collecting at the time. And I'm trying to remember, because Professor Allen and Emily did a thing on Identity Crisis just recently. I should remember when it came out. But it wasn't until around then that they really started up doing the JSA again. So it may be, yeah. you're right, it's a couple of years from now. There's, I guess Eagle Sham gets to uh, draw physically fit men in their BBDs, so... Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't. Well, he draws, but to be fair, he also, even though she's not in her BVDs, she does. He does draw a very, very nice uh, Jenny as well. Yeah, and uh, this time out, I remember the first time we uh, saw saw uh, Eagle Sham drawing Jenny, we were kind of disturbed that last panel where yeah. Kyle was proposing to her with the ring and everything. She looked incredibly out of proportion. Right. Now she's looking really good. She, he's he's got a good handle on her facial expression. Mm-hmm. Her body doesn't look uh, incredibly emaciated, like she has no internal organs. He's got some dynamic poses for her, right? So that's cool. But plus, he's designed a very good variant on Kyle's uniform for her, mm-hmm. which I think also works. Something fierce, because as you know, two things a girl could dress up in that will always get a guy's attention. You know, a sports jersey and nothing else. (laughs) And a, you know, a version of a male superhero's costume. Yep. And I I think it I think it's a nice enough distinction from Kyle's uniform. It still has Mm -hmm. those elements, the sort of white and black. Uh, the uh, sort of bisected type feel. The only weird thing that I've uh, commented on on Ginny's costume is the sort of uh, bracelets that she has around the arm. I don't know what those are supposed to be. Maybe those are those Fitbit watches that she's wearing. 
Uh, right. You- or maybe it was kind of Eaglesham's way of translating those gauntlets. That could be as well. That um that Kyle wore. Uh, one of the one of the interesting things is here on page six. I like the fact that Alan is using uh, a pinhole box. Oh, you mean uh, I'm John. not Alan. Yeah, John is using a pinhole box mm-hmm. to check out the sun. You know, that's one of those things I remember doing in grade school. Whenever we'd uh, look at solar eclipses or something like that, we'd use the pinhole box or we'd use a pinhole through the sheet of paper or projected right. on anything like that. So I thought that was just kind of a neat little, uh, that was just a neat little homage to the ideas that I took uh, as a child. And, and yes, I agree. Uh, he's got, Winnick has gotten the voices of Alan and Jenny down really well. I think as good as Mars had in uh, the prior one. So it's, I'm really enjoying it here. And I love the fact that they, they feel really do feel like a father and daughter. Mm-hmm. The, the, the one thing Winnick, I think, is has very strong is he's able to to portray conversations between people in a realistic mm-hmm. fashion, especially conversations dealing with super-powered people. Right. They A lot of times when you get people who are having superheroes talk to each other, they're still talking in the voices of the heroes. They're not talking right. in the voices of people. And I think he's got Alan and Jenny talking here as father and daughter rather than as Sentinel and Green mm-hmm. Lantern. So I mean, I, that whole thing where he says, this is why you shouldn't be dating heroes. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a very fatherly say, thing to say for yes. some reason. Well, and he, uh, I, I like that he's he's still concerned about Jenny, but he's not... He's not dismissive of her. He's not saying that, you know, she shouldn't be doing this. He's just concerned with the fact that this is happening around her. So uh, I like that he he trusts with her, but he's still being a parent. So it's it, like I said, Winnick has a good uh, has a good grasp on the voices of these characters. Where is it on page nine, which is going back into Kyle's dreamscape or whatever is he again and his bbds he, he couldn't have dreamed himself a t-shirt or something mm-hmm. well and the fact that he dreams up oblivion and parallax you know sort of flanking him this you know this may turn out to be some of the this could be one of the worst comic book gay pornos <laughs> ever put to paper Right here, the the next scene could be incredibly awkward, and I yes. don't want to think about it at all. What I do want to point out here is the fact that Winnick did, did incorporate Circle of Fire into the ongoing narrative, because usually with these, you know, we talked a bit on that episode, last episode you had me on with Michael Bailey about the five week, the fifth week events, and most of them had no impact whatsoever mm-hmm. on the ongoing series. They just were there, and the, I mean, uh, that was a Justice League of A stupidity. Mm-hmm. They would come out, and then we would never speak of them again. Uh, Winnig incorporates the events of, and actually kind of links them in a kind of a sort of a clever way into what he wanted to do with with Kyle. No, I agree, and it's and it's also nice that he's incorporating the idea of parallax and what happened also in the uh 
Final Night storyline, which I don't think it was a fifth week thing because I think that came out over the course of a month. So it was it was a one month thing. But um, it's it's an interesting path to take Kyle down, giving him sort of the power of parallax, but giving him the humanity of Kyle and not giving him the tragedy of having to see his his home city devastated and that driving him towards the idea of wanting to reshape the universe. So seeing what Kyle can do with this amount of power is is going to be interesting. Like I said, this is all brand new to me. I'm reading this right. issue, issue. So I you know, I I really don't have any notes. I think I have a question about it, uh, a line in page 10. Okay, let me get there. Now, it's been a long time since I read these issues, and you know, since I sold my collection, I don't have issue 143. Is this during the Last Laugh event? Yes. Okay, so Graven literally did become like the Joker. Yes. Uh, last issue, what happened was there was a big... It was the last laugh event, and I guess what happened was the Joker was diagnosed to have brain cancer, mm-hmm. so he thought he was going to die, so he released Joker toxin into the slab because I, – I'm assuming he the Joker was in the slab because maybe Arkham had been devastated because of Cataclysm? Because of Cataclysm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was no Arkham. So – you know, it turned all the criminals in the slab into jokerized versions of themselves. And Graven went on this sort of killing spree, blowing up all the comedy clubs in New York. And take the heroines. <laughs> if, if only he could have blown up a comedy club with Carrot Top starring in it. And that would have been the best thing ever. But uh, Screw you, New York comedy club. <laughs> Take that, Carolines. Uh, yes. uh, but uh, that that's kind of what led up to it. And uh, essentially at the end of that, he had some sort of apocalyptic bomb that he said was like a hundred megaton bomb that Kyle flew out into space and contained with his energy. And this is what basically popped him into big glowy mode here. Okay. So that was what happened last issue. Um. Yeah, I I really don't have anything. It's nice that they are incorporating the ideas of what happened in the Circle of Fire storyline, uh, what happened in uh, Final Night, and kind of using these things as an impetus to take Kyle in a new direction. And I'm, here we get also the new redesign for Nero, mm-hmm. where he seems to have borrowed Mr. Hyde's from uh, the... Uh, the Marvel Universe's uh, outfit. Yeah, the whole... I mean, I remember back when we did issue 129, the first Mm -hmm. issue, we were looking at the cover, and we were like, who's the guy in the trench coat with the big hell beast? And after a while, I remember reading into this, I found out, yes, that was Nero there. So when it was actually seeding stuff on that cover that would eventually come into play... Now, why Jenny was there and her negligee and all the other characters and, you know, I'm looking, by the way, at at this page where Nero gets reintroduced, right? And then Mm -hmm. above Nero's panel, there's the the, the shot from the back of uh, 
Jenny. And I get a clear look at those uh, at, at those gloves, those fingerless gloves that she's wearing. It looks like she's about ready to go bowling. <laughs> no, she doesn't have the brace on. You're supposed to have that wrist brace on to keep your yeah. uh, your uh, okay. arm from twisting. So, you know, yeah, it's a the the. I guess you can't you can't complain so much about it if you compare it to Kyle's gauntlets because those things yeah. are pretty goofy themselves. Eagle Sham does a decent job with all the constructs, but sometimes, like on that two-page splash, or that two-page half splash Mm -hmm. uh, that goes across, sometimes there's just so much stuff on there that it just gets a chore to look at all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I like detailed stuff. I like, uh, you know, the character designs are really nice. But sometimes I think Eagle Sham puts in too much detail and it just becomes kind of visually overwhelming for me. But it's, you know, when he's doing just simple art, like above that, you know, Jenny uh, talking to Alan, I think he does a really good job of depicting her. Her facial expressions look great. I, 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 I don't have anything to complain about in this issue. I really enjoyed it. I have to agree. It, it, it's a great build-up, even, and as we'll we'll find out in about a week's time, even the next issue, which is Punchy Punchy Run Run, is mm-hmm. really really good. Junik, Junik. <laughs> that's his. That's his. That's his shortening of his name. Yes. Oh oh oh! By the way, twenty-one, Maggot Face. Uh, yeah, there, there's nothing to make. A person look creepier than to have maggots crawling over all over your face. Mm-hmm. Now, I do like the fact that Kyle tries to take tries to take him out above that in that uh, third panel right. there by trying to zap him with all these syringes of these uh, medications, yeah, yeah, to try and uh, calm him down. But that doesn't work, and which leads which is to true, yeah. Which I leads, mean, I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. I it, it, ju- it just leads to the next big splash page where it's like let's end this right i mean it, it, it's definitely a, a fact it's a fact of my life that you have to constantly adjust your your medications to keep yourself on an even keel so yeah that that's actually a fairly clever little twist that maybe somebody else would not have figured out mm-hmm. but it, it's like i said this is a, a good issue uh, it's setting up some interesting stuff going on with Kyle. It's taking him in a new direction. It's a direction that I'm looking forward to reading. Um, I know you don't have your version of it doesn't have any ads. Right. There's a few interesting ones in here. There's Crash Bandicoot, you know, for the PS2. There's a stupid Starburst ad. There's another one of those damn tobacco is wacko ads. Right. That that's of course tobacco is wacko if you're a teen. So, right. so, so long as you're an adult, you can smoke all you want. But if you're a teen, don't because it'll do bad things to you, which makes no sense. There's then advertisement that we've done before for the Mummy Returns game, which mm-hmm. uh, which does have a CGI version of the rock in it, which prob- <laughs> as a giant scorpion, as a giant scorpion, which probably doesn't look any worse than the CGI version of the giant scorpion rock in the movie, because that was awful. Yeah. Um. Advertisement for Dark Age of Camelot. For some reason, I guess wrist watches with little games on them are back. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I remember those back when I was a kid in high school. So right. Um, there's an advertisement for glow in the dark soccer balls. I'm not kidding. So I guess because you know, the only thing better than playing soccer is playing it in the dark. Exactly. Uh, there's a weird ad for some sort of what is it? Kinetica or something? It's some PS2 racing game. Uh. Dragon Warrior BII. What, 7 for the PlayStation? Yeah. Odd. Magic, a couple of ad, a couple of ads back-to-back. Mm-hmm. They're in here, uh, at least in my copy, I have two pages back-to-back with the same advertisement for Magic the Gathering playing cards. That's... Which was a big thing back back then. Mm-hmm. But it, it... That thing saved the... Um... For several years, that thing saved the uh, RPG store industry. I wouldn't doubt it because I, you know, I know at the time Dungeons and Dragons was going through a lot of, you know, they were trying to get people back in, trying to simplify their role playing system, and you know, Magic the Gathering just made it simple by turning it into sort of a, a Pokemon right. type thing. And I think you know, gathering on that and turning it into a a medieval sort of role-playing type thing was probably a good idea, but it was just on. I'm looking here just right back to back, the exact same advertisement in the magazine. And then there's, there's a different advertisement. They're advertising the hell out of magic the gathering. So the third yeah. one with, with, it looks like John Constantine playing against <laughs> someone. So that's kind of, I, that's kind of, I know, no, ironic. Every but. Thursday night, Constantine and Baron Winters gets together. <laughs> uh, Caprice. Oi, my Black Lotus beat your, beat your Sarah Angel. <laughs> I have never played Magic the Gathering. It's one of those things that's just sort of out of my realm. I was really big into it when I was younger. Uh, me and my friend Hardy built these elaborate decks. And I actually had... Black Lotus is the most... The rarest card. And I actually had one. Um, I then sold a bunch of them for a criminally low price... And a friend of mine who works with me now, my friend Zach, hey Zach, uh, keeps ribbing me about how much money I could have actually made if I kept all those cards. Oh. Because uh, what they call the alpha and beta deck, which is the first two versions of the game, um, they're very rare now. Hmm. People do not, did not hang on to them, so they are extremely rare and extremely expensive. Well, it's it's just one of those things that you never know what's going to be worth any type of value. You, you know, many people, as as I'm certain we've talked about before, mm-hmm. you know, thought that 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 one issue of Wildcats number one, you know, <laughs> and, you know the spider, you know, Todd McFarlane's adjectiveless Spider-Man number one with the silver gold foil color cover was going to be putting their kids through college and right. Now you find but the it. problem is, if you make a million copies of something, mm-hmm. it's yeah, not exactly rare. That's true. And even even in the back of the book, you know, the the last page is another advertisement for Magic. That they were pushing Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. in this book. And well, uh, remember too, this was during the kind of like the dark ages when not a lot of places would advertise mm-hmm. in comics. Nowadays, we get to see all these other things. But, um, you know, um, now it was, 
the, the 2002, it was just video games and uh, candies and, and stuff. Yep. Yeah, in fact, that's that's the majority of what's going on in here. Aside from Magic the Gathering game, it's all PlayStation games and Starburst candies. So, yeah, kind of kind of sad day. There, and there Magic the even, Gathering, and, apparently. Uh, four advertisements, four Three different advertisements on four pages for Magic the Gathering. So. Now, is this still? Yeah, it was still Wizards of the Coast because Wizards of the Coast ultimately goes on to buy TSR. Uh, I think so. They're saying yeah, it's Wizards of the Coast and DCI. So yeah, they haven't hmm. bought out TSR yet. But uh, yeah, this. Gosh, I I now feel very depressed that I know all this stuff. <laughs> That's okay. You know, back in the day, I probably could have quoted. You know, players' manual stats, and you know what, what strength tables, and you know uh, what kind of, uh, you know what kind of elements you needed for different spells for, you know whatever level magic users you could use. So I uh, don't feel bad, Thomas. For I, me, I it was Champions, which was the superhero role-playing game by mm-hmm. Hero Games. And around this time, also they tried to stream. Actually, oddly enough, tried to streamline their their system. Um, into something more immediately playable because they had a very elaborate, very, very elaborate uh, character generation system. But um, that has nothing to do with Kyle Rayner or uh, Guy Gardner. Well, un- unfortunately. Uh, By the way, we're getting, we're getting Lego Guy Gardner. Yes, I saw that. I saw Lego Guy Gardner. Now, is that for, you know, someone mentioned, I think it was... Robert Ward posted on Facebook that it's not only in the Lego Batman three as an unlockable character, but supposedly there's going to be a movie and I don't know whether it's the Lego Batman movie that's supposed to be coming out or whether it's, you know, just some sort of Lego Batman three animated version or something. Right. I'm not sure, but I, I saw that interesting that there were the two variations. It looked like the other one was, you know, uh, Sappy guy from uh, the JLI mm. when he hit his head and became all, but as a as a, a star sapphire of yeah, all things, it kind of looked because yeah, because his his outfit was kind of purplish. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, if they would, and I know because it's the the games are probably based off the new Fifty Two. Right. There's not going to be a Voldarian warrior guy gardener. Yeah. But that would just if. If that was unlockable character, that would just make me so happy. <laughs> Get on that, Lego Telltale Games. I I I I'd start a Kickstarter for that. Well, I probably wouldn't, but it would be fun regardless. But uh, yeah, the, like I said, you know, going back to the issue, this was a good one. I'm looking forward to find out uh, what's coming up next time. Would you uh, be willing to stick around, or I mean, come back next week and uh, talk about the uh, next issue, Tom? Yes, yes, I think I would, because, of course, we find out that uh, Kyle is the big kahuna. <laughs> I love the coverage of the next one. But I we'll, don't know what it has to do with anything. Absolutely nothing, but it's a cool cover <laughs> nonetheless. But we'll get to talk about that here in seven days or five minutes, whichever comes first. And we will see you all next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys and Green Lantern Podcast. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. 
This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scan the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonsacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern. The opening music for today's show was The Police with their song King of Pain, off the album Synchronicity, perhaps one of the best police albums out there. And that's no small feat, as The Police has put out a lot of great albums. So, would you like to listen to this song or listen to this album? Good choice. An even better choice would be going to buy it at a great place like Amazon.com. And another great choice would be to go to the Two True Freaks website and click the link to go to Amazon.com. Every time you go to Two True Freaks and click on the Amazon.com link to buy things at Amazon, any amount of your purchase price or a small amount of your purchase price will come back to the website. You won't see anything extra come out of your pocketbook, but Amazon gives a small amount of your purchase price back to the website. So every time you buy something from Amazon.com through the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com, you're helping to support some of the hardest working podcasters on the internet. So anytime you feel like buying songs, movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, electronics, entertainment, whatever your heart could desire, make sure you buy it from Amazon.com and make sure you use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. But anyway, on to other subjects. Um, have you been keeping up with The Flash? I... I I did not watch because I worked last night. I did not okay. watch, but I watched, uh, I saw, I checked Facebook and I saw, you know, Shag basically ejaculating all of the plays on <laughs> I'm assuming. Last night we had the Rainbow Raider of all people. <laughs> Although they gave him the name Prism. <laughs> and yeah, we're not buying that. <laughs> the implica- the um the gag is tonight on the Arrow episode, they're going to introduce Captain Boomerang. That is the one negative I'll have to say about the CW not the anime, but the CW comic book shows. Yeah. Arrow and Smallville and now the Flash, they all seem to be kind of cut from the same cloth. They seem to be following the same patterns. The The storylines feel the same. The way they're shot feels the same. They The locations, you know, moving from one location to the other and just yeah. reusing locations seemed very similar. So it, it, it's working for them. They're building a sort of visual style. 
but you know, I, I'd like to see them break out a bit. 